The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God. You will know good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing, Pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Something very profound happened in Adam and in Eve, where suddenly they lost the covering of God. They lost their clothing. They lost the Holy Spirit that covered them in glory. They made a decision about whom they would serve. And they turned and made the decision that they would serve the power of darkness, the power of the dragon, the serpent, the dragon. And they were changed. In their inner being, they were changed. Suddenly, in their inner heart, there was anger. There was bitterness. They had lost their home. They had lost their clothing. They had lost the purpose for their lives. They now had to go out and earn their bread by the sweat of their brow. And there was a division in their heart. There was a separation from God. Now, in Genesis 3, Verse 15 is this powerful verse that gives me such courage. And I will put enmity 
What is enmity? Hatred. Distaste. Separation. Between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers. He will be crushed. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first great promise of deliverance from the condition that now they are locked into. The Apostle Paul, talking about this in Romans, the third chapter, is very clear that there is nothing righteous or good in a man. He is utterly depraved. He is utterly of darkness. But now comes this promise that God is saying, no, I'm going to open a door of opportunity, a small door of opportunity. And if you choose to go through that door, you can be saved. Saved from what? Saved from hatred, selfishness, bitterness, anger, destructive behavior, self-hatred. You can be delivered from all of these things. You can be set free. Then we see this wickedness rise up in their son. There is Cain and Abel. Abel keeps the flocks. Cain works the soil. It's very clear that they had been given directions. They had been, first of all, dressed in the skins of animals, looking forward to the Messiah who would come and who would clothe them with his righteousness. Their nakedness is now covered. They're no longer ashamed because they're covered by the righteousness of Jesus. But now we see Cain and Abel in two separate jobs, working by the sweat of their brow. And they've been instructed to bring sacrifices before the Lord. And so Abel brings the fat portions of the firstborn of his flock. And the scriptures say, The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. Now, this is vital for us to understand. What creates the anger against God, the hatred of God, what creates that in a man or woman's soul, is that God will not recognize their flesh. He will not recognize their right to dream, to be filled with ambition. He will not recognize their right to control their lives and to do what they wish with them. The Lord God of heaven has a claim on your life. He says you belong to him. He created you. But you, with your forefathers, turned and served darkness or served yourself. Now he says, Cain was very angry. 
and his face was downcast. And the Lord speaks directly to Cain and asks him the question, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Now let me ask you a question that may sound foolish. Was Cain's arm wicked? Were Cain's legs wicked? Was the physical body wicked? No. Sin does not come out of the physical body. The soul resides in the physical body. Was Jesus of sin? No, Jesus never sinned, but he was in a physical body. The deprivation, the degrading of the human heart by choosing to rebel against God does not reside in the body. It resides in the mind. We have depraved minds. And the promise that was made in Genesis 3.15 is that you are not going to have a mind so depraved that you do not have the authority and the power to repent of your wickedness. This makes it impossible for a human person to make any justifiable excuse for their wickedness. Now, I know many of you have been taught that you have no choice and no power over whether you sin or not. In one sense, this is true. It's true if, in my relationship with the devil, I have sold my soul to him, or I have claimed ownership of myself, and I have said I am God, either by action or by words, and I claim that I am the authority in my life, then you will have no power to resist the presence of the devil as he comes and sweeps you away time after time. You will lack the inner strength of heart and mind. But the promise is made that he will choose to put enmity between you and the devil. He will put a morsel of hatred in your heart toward wickedness. Just enough to give you the opportunity to choose to repent, to choose to give up that bitterness and that anger of your heart to give you an ex- just enough enmity against darkness that you will have the power to come to Jesus and say, I repent of my wicked heart. Now, let's look very carefully at what happens with Cain. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Remember, This is the son of Adam. Cain is not being punished here for the sin of Adam. 
Cain is not being confronted by the presence of God because of Adam's sin. He is being confronted by God for the anger that rests in his heart and his refusal to offer the sacrifice that God has asked him to make. That was an intellectual, inner spirit decision that Cain made regarding what he would or would not do. Now, I want to be very clear with you. I don't want any misunderstanding. If you don't get this, you cannot be a Christian. This is fundamental. This is baseline. I am and you are responsible for every decision you have made regarding your life. You are responsible for every act of rebellion and sin you have committed in your heart. When I stand before the judgment bar of God, I have no excuse. I cannot say this sin is God's fault. One young man recently said to me, I did not ask to be born, Pastor. I did not ask to have the parents that I have. It's their fault. It's God's fault that I'm a sinner. And I answered, no. No. You are like a child evading the responsibility of your actions. You alone are responsible for the actions that you have taken. And until you're willing to accept responsibility for the heart condition of your soul, you cannot be saved. Now, with that recognition that I am responsible for my soul, must also come the recognition of my inborn decision to hate God and to hate righteousness and to love the things of darkness. Read carefully again Romans, the third chapter. There is absolutely no good that resides in my body, in my mind, in my heart. There is nothing of God that resides in the human heart. But there is the promise that this will not bind you, that you have the freedom to turn and say, I am not going to walk in rebellion against God any longer. You have the freedom to say, I will not sin against the Most High. The bottom line, the base understanding from which we must all begin is the understanding that my wicked heart has been created by myself and by my choices. It was not God who decided that, and it was not Adam who decided that. Adam is not responsible for your sin. Adam is responsible for his own sin. Yes, everything changed, 
and we were born after the likeness of Adam. But we settled very early in our life a disposition to be utterly selfish, to be in charge of our own hearts and our own lives, to make our own choices and our own decisions. We are responsible for our sin. Now we find that Cain is told by God, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. How could God tell him that he must master his sin if God had not given him the power to master his sin? God has told him sin is active. It is not passive. It is like, how should I put it? like a lion crouching, ready to spring upon you and devour you. And the Lord God of heaven has said, you must master it. In other words, on the great judgment day, the question is going to be, did you master the sin in your heart? Did you master the anger and the bitterness, or did you murder? And Jesus said, if you've been angry with your brother, you've already murdered him. If you've looked on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart before God. And he's saying, you must master it. Now, to understand what I'm trying to say to you this entire week, you must, in reality, let go of all of your cultural understandings of the Christian faith. You must let go of the permissive images of unconditional love. The permissive images of, I can continue to walk in rebellion and sin against God, but I'm saved because Jesus forgave all of my sin, past, present, and future at the cross. That is a cultural myth. It is not biblical. And I tell you today, this walk with Jesus is so serious that we cannot afford to take any cultural myths of the Christian church and put our trust in those for our salvation. We must search the scriptures very carefully. We must see the core of the issue between your heart and God. And the core issue is God-hatred. Now, some of you have never looked seriously and asked the question, do I hate God? Because in the modern church, you are pampered. You are told lies. 
you are not confronted with the essential righteousness and holiness of God and the justice of God and the wrath of God against all sin. You have been lied to, and you have been comfortable in your cultural religion and in the myths of the cultural faith. But when you desire the true righteousness and innocence of Jesus Christ, then you must look honestly at who you are. And frankly, most of us are afraid to look at who we are. And we make excuses. I have my mother's temper or I have my father's temper. I'm just this way. This is my personality. I can't help it. I'm wound tight. Or whatever excuse we would make to justify in some way the bitterness and the anger that's in our soul because, can I really be forthright? Life is not fair. Life is not fair. And if you go out into the world thinking that everything is just and fair and that this is a pleasant land where you can accomplish the dreams of your heart, you are going to be deeply disappointed. And bitterness and anger will rise in your heart against the Lord God of heaven and against those around you. And then you will determine, do I have to stomp on the heads of other people to accomplish what I desire to accomplish? Or am I going to repent for my anger and my bitterness and find out what God's dream is for me? Find out what God's plan for my life is. All of us have had or have as the essential core of our being in our mind selfishness, bitterness, anger. And we can deal with the external evidences of our angry heart. We can deal with the external evidence of the bitterness of our soul. We can play this game where you have weasels coming up out of these holes and you have a little baton and you beat on the head of everyone that pops up. So you can bang on the head the anger. You can bang on the head the lust. You can bang on the head the cheating or whatever it is that pops up in your life. The ambition, the the angry words you spoke to your wife or your children, the shouting and the screaming at your kids. You can bang that on the head and you can put it down. But the essential core of your heart remains untouched 
It's going to take a much deeper work of God in the inner being of your soul. So, Cain and Abel go out in the field? I don't know what Abel said to him. I can imagine what he said. I can imagine that he said, Look, all you need to do is obey the word of the Lord God of heaven and give up your selfish heart. You think you can bring the best you have and that's acceptable to God? Our best is nothing, Cain. We have this little window that mom and dad told us about where we can surrender our will to God and we can do what he wants us to do. And somewhere in this discourse on righteousness, Cain is so enraged, he rises up and he kills his brother, the first murder, spills his blood on the ground. I don't know if he hit him on the head with a rock or with a stick. But his brother lies on the ground, bleeding out from the wound inflicted by his by his older brother. And the Lord again speaks to Cain, and he says, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know. So now he's lying to God. He replied, Am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that, of course, is yes, you are your brother's keeper. You're his older brother. You were to look out for him. But Cain is only looking out for Cain because if Cain doesn't look out for Cain, who's going to look out for him? He can't trust God. Now, some of you listening to this broadcast have the same attitude. If I don't look out for me, who's going to look out for me? God's not going to look out for me. He's telling me to humble my heart and repent. I'm not going to do that. No, I recognize you may not be this blunt in your heart. You may say it in nice, soft, kind words. Hey, we're all responsible for ourselves. God says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And I say to some of you men, your wife's tears cry out from the ground against you to God. Some of your wife's tears cry out against you. Some of your children's tears cry out against you. Some of your workmates' Tears cry out from the ground against you before a holy God. You think you can simply rampage through the world, getting your way, saying what you want, taking what actions you choose? You honestly think you can do that and get away with it? So you'll say, oh, pastor, I don't do any of that. The tears of your soul cry out to God against you. For you have created such brokenness and such sorrow 
in the midst of your bitter anger. You have sabotaged your own life to the point you want to commit suicide. As one young woman said, I want to just drive my car and run into a semi-truck. I want to die. When the human heart cannot have its way, it would rather die than submit to God and humble the heart. The tears of your soul cry out against you before the God of heaven. Some of you in your stubbornness have turned to drugs. You've turned to alcohol. You've turned as a glutton. And I have to tell you, I've I'm not a heavy man. I'm not a fat man. But do you know how easy it would be for me to be a heavy, fat man? After my wife passed, in the sorrow of my heart, I found the great temptation, particularly at night before I go to bed, is to open that package of Halloween candy that remains and eat the whole bag. That's the temptation. Temptation is to say, I have a right to comfort my soul with those potato chips. I have a right to comfort my soul with with whatever dessert I choose. And the Lord has simply said to me, Sin is crouching at the door. You must conquer it. Well, sometimes I don't want to conquer. Because Satan comes and he says to me, God didn't have a right to take your wife. And I answer him, oh, yes, he did. My wife belonged to Jesus before she belonged to me. Jesus stood between us. Get thee behind me, Satan. In other words, all of us, myself included, are faced with whether or not we will allow our souls to be corroded and corrupted with hatred toward God because we didn't get our way. Or will we submit our hearts and humbly say, Jesus, I trust you. No matter what it looks like, I trust you. You take my wife, Jesus. I trust you, and I love you, and I know your way is the best way. If I were to become sick, praise God, he has granted to me incredible health. I can count on my fingers the number of times I've been to a doctor. He has given me incredible strength and energy. But if he were to take that suddenly from me, would I have a right to turn against him and say, it's not fair? Look at this suffering. I tell you, as my wife lay on the bed in the last days of her life, racked with cancer, having to deal with the pain, Her face was bright with a smile. She said, the 
The Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And any who came to visit her, she encouraged. She encouraged with words of kindness and submission to Jesus, saying, trust Jesus, he'll carry us through. You see, what I want you to hear today is that all sin is a voluntary choice. A choice for which I am responsible before God. There is no excuse for sin. And those who say to you, those who lie to you, and say, you don't have any choice, you're going to sin until the day Jesus comes. They're lying to you. In 1 Peter, the second chapter, verse 24, it says, just in case you want to look that up, I encourage you to, 1 Peter, the second chapter, verse 24. Speaking of Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. If you have never dealt with the essential hatred against God in your heart, then it is impossible for you to be converted. It is impossible for you to be a real Christian. Today, the church is filled with Christians whose hearts are filled with selfishness and rage, who are still completely self directed. They simply enjoy the inspiration, the success strategies. They enjoy the fellowship of the church, but they are cultural Christians. They are carnal Christians. They are not saved. They are half converted. They have a level of favorability toward God, but essentially in their heart, they are still at enmity with God. How many times I've sat on vestries or boards at the church. And the lost and the unsaved have found their way onto that board or vestry. And the decisions they make are all out of the flesh and not out of the spirit. And so the church becomes a business. The church becomes place of entertainment, the church becomes worldly, and the pastor is often equally worldly, and they operate like directors of a company, CEO and chief financial operators, and they win large numbers and build great churches. but the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is not there. They operate by flesh. 
Their primary concern is about success and building something great, building a legacy. They're building their own kingdom. This passage in 1 Peter, the second chapter, verse 24, says he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. What have we been healed from? We've been healed from bitterness and anger and enmity against God. We've been healed of of our sin. Have you been healed of your sin? Be honest with me today. Are you still working on the self-improvement program? See, a, a sinner man can force himself to stop smoking. A sinner man can force himself to stop drinking. That's what AA is all about. A sinner man can force himself not to lie or cheat or steal because he doesn't want to get caught. He doesn't want to be dishonored. And so at the central core of his being is selfishness, the desire to be loved. The very core of his being Now, there's another passage I want to read for you. First Peter, the fourth chapter. I'll begin with verse 1. Therefore, that therefore is referring back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where he now is in heaven, is at God's right hand, and everything is in submission to him. That is, except the hearts of sinful men and the devil and his rebellious crew. This earth is a prison planet. We are in prison on this earth. We are not allowed to leave. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. In other words, when we begin to understand the price we are paying for our anger and our bitterness, when we begin to understand the price we pay for hatred against God, and we begin to see that we are responsible for that hatred and that bitterness, that it arises out of a selfishness at the core of our being, and it is a fight against the wrath of God. When we begin to see that, we begin to see the suffering. We finally come to a place where we can say, okay, I'm done with this rebellion. God has to put us in a prison, and he has to bring to us chastisement in order to shape us into what he desires us to be. This is not easy. As one new Christian said, 
You know, I thought after I became a Christian and I accepted Jesus, everything would be wonderful in my life. That I would be free of all of this struggle and sorrow. I replied, there's not much, there's not much honesty in advertising. You have believed a lie. The fact is that after you become a Christian, after you begin to say, I'm going to submit my heart to Jesus Christ, then the devil comes after you like a roaring lion. He seeks to devour you. And the spiritual battle is now on. And this spiritual battle is necessary because in this spiritual battle, we finally can say, I am done with my sin and my rebellion against God. The love of God draws us to himself. And the purpose of his drawing us is to bring us to repentance for our sin. Bring us to repentance for our anger and our hatred toward him. Remember again what happened to our Lord Jesus Christ. He came with love and compassion and mercy, healing the sick, raising the dead. And we came after him with clubs and spears and swords. And we, the children of Adam, put him on a cross and killed him. Why? Why would these Educated men, these sophisticated men, why would they do that? Why would the Germans, under Hitler's leadership, a people who loved classical music, a people highly educated, sophisticated, able to produce incredible machines, hardworking, why would they accept the destruction? of the Jewish people in the Holocaust? Why would they agree with and go along with and support the attempt to destroy the Jewish people? Why is there such rage arising in Europe today and even in America against Jewish people? Why this anti-Semitism? Why this hatred? of the Jews on the part of even the President of the United States. Why? Because these Jewish people have been blessed more than any other people by the power of the Almighty God of Heaven. He has blessed them and gifted them in spite of their sin. He has loved them in spite of their sin. And there's rage and bitterness in the heart of man against God and against everything he has blessed. And we will see that rage bubble out in America, even as it is now bubbling out against all Christians in Iraq, Saudi Arabia. Allah is not the same 
as the creator God of heaven. They are two very, very different gods. The creator God of heaven and earth, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, is not the Hittite moon god called Allah. Look at the working out of each of the gods held up as the God. Look at the attitudes and the destructions of the God they call Allah and his prophet Muhammad. You see, the essential nature of man is selfish and wicked and angry. God has to deal with that, and he dealt with it by pouring himself out on Calvary in a demonstration of such mercy and compassion and love as the world had never seen before and never will see again. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who suffered in his body is done with sin. And as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. What is dissipation? It's that which drains away the energy of life. They heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason is the the gospel preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but living according to God in regard to the Spirit. I have no clue what that means, except that I know it means that God is going to judge, and he is a righteous judge. And then verse 7, The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled, so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. You understand what I'm saying? The scriptures are very clear. The essential core of man is selfish, bitter, angry. And we can cover it up with cultural niceties. We can cover it up with make-believe. But until we are prepared to give up our life and utterly renounce the selfishness of our heart, until we are willing to say to Jesus, I have sinned against you, Almighty God, and I renounce my sinful ways, I renounce the hatred of my heart, I renounce 
self-justification. I renounce all worldliness and all love of the flesh, the devil, the world. Until you're prepared to do that, you are not saved. What are we saved from? We're not saved from some casual little incident. We're saved from the bitterness of the inner part of our heart, the anger of the inner soul, the violence that that anger produces, first in our life and then in the lives of others. Listen to what it says in the third chapter of First John. We have just five minutes left. I want to read this for you quickly. Dear children, this is verse 7, 1 John 3, verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, not he who is declared righteous, not he who says, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, but continues to walk in his sin. John says, he who does what is right is righteous. How do we do what is right? By surrendering our will to Jesus Christ and allowing him to come in and take full charge so that every decision is now based on what does Jesus want here? Does Jesus want me to say this? Does Jesus want me to feel this way in my heart? Does Jesus want me to have this anger? Lord, I know you don't want this anger in my soul. I confess it. I renounce it. I submit to you. I surrender to you, Jesus. I consecrate myself to you, Jesus. Come in and take charge of my heart. Until we do that, we will not be able to be innocent before God. He says, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And I want to add, in your heart. And in your heart, the devil's work is bitterness and anger, hatred against God. That's the core element. And God wants to get at that in your soul. He wants to save you from that. Don't pretend you're saved while there's bitterness and anger in your soul and hatred toward God. And you have to come to terms with this. If you've never recognized the hatred of your heart for God, you're not yet saved. You are living in a make-believe world. Believe me, when things get tough and your life is threatened, you will see what is truly in your heart. Do you submit to the Lord God of heaven, lift up your hands and surrender to him, or do you fight like a devil and protest your innocence? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him, Why doesn't he continue to sin? Because sin rises up out of a hatred for righteousness, a hatred for God. 
And when that hatred is removed from our soul, we become a totally different person. So today, don't worry about the outward manifestations. Worry about that intrinsic inner place in your heart where you hate God. That's what has to go. Almighty God, you have such compassion and love for us, and we have opposed you with such bitterness, refusing to submit our lives to you. I pray today, Lord, you will deal with the inner core of every person listening to this broadcast, that we will look reality square in the face and hear you say to us, you must overcome this hatred. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel, Woodbridge, Virginia. I'd love to hear from you. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Our webpage is under new construction. We're totally renovating it, changing it. Go and look at the progress we're making. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I pray for you. I cry out to God for you. I'll talk to you soon. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.